Welcome to Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters. I'm Michonne Boston. And I'm Tequina Boston. We're your hosts and real-life sisters who binge on historical drama. We'll talk about films, fictional adaptations, and dramatic series as windows to the past and mirrors of the present. So fill your teacup or mug with your favorite sip as we explore what's fact, what's fiction, and the so what on historical drama with the Boston Sisters. I'm Michonne Boston. And I'm Tequina Boston. Welcome to Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters. Listen to past episodes and sign up for our newsletter on our webpage at michonnebostongroup.com backslash Boston Sisters to stay up to date on new episodes and bonus content. In this episode, we talk with Ben Van Stone, writer and showrunner for All Creatures Great and Small, about the making of the series currently in its third season on the PBS drama series Masterpiece. Ben's other TV credits include the adaptation of Laurie Lee's novel Cider for Rosie for the BBC, The Borrowers for NBC and the BBC, The Last Kingdom for BBC Two and Netflix, BBC's Merlin, which was also broadcast in the United States on NBC, and Ben was a co-executive producer on The English Game for Netflix. Ben is currently showrunning the series adaptation of A More Tolls, A Gentleman in Moscow for Paramount Plus Showtime, starring Ewan McGregor, which is in production. All Creatures Great and Small is the recent adaptation of the books written by veterinarian James Alfred White, who wrote under the pen name James Harriet, about a trio of veterinarian surgeons in the Yorkshire Dales in the late 1930s. The series features Nicholas Ralph as James Harriet, Samuel West as Siegfried Farnan, Anna Maitley as Mrs. Hall, Callum Woodhouse as Tristan Farnan, and Rachel Shinton as Helen Alderson. Season 3 begins in spring 1939. James and Helen are married, and James is now a partner with Siegfried in the veterinary practice. James decides to expand the practice by participating in the Ministry of Agriculture's program to test cattle for tuberculosis. This puts pressure on James from the ministry and the local farmers. Meanwhile, war with Germany looms on the horizon, bringing with it uncertainty about the future for everyone. The shadow of impending war brings back memories for Siegfried and Mrs. Hall of how the First Great War shattered lives. For another generation, there are conflicts of conscience in how to answer the call to protect family, home, and country against growing fascism from abroad. Welcome, Ben, to Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters. Hi, lovely to meet you both. So we met, you grew up in the Berkshire, and in the United States, we would probably say Berkshire, uh, yeah, the countryside. Berkshire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Berkshire. <laughs> yeah. How, how did growing up there help you in creating the series All Creatures Great and Small? 
Well, I think that in many ways, I, I grew up in the country and was a, a country boy at heart who ended up in the city. So in some ways, it's sort of the, the inverse journey to what James has, where he sort of grows up in the city and, and moves to the country. Um, so I was lucky enough to have, have been around a lot of animals, uh, particularly horses, where I grew up. There were a lot of racehorses. It was a racehorsing village. So there's some knowledge from that which I took into it. Um, but I didn't spend a great deal of time with farm animals, even though I was in the country. Um, so, yeah, to, it, to have a sense of the sort of the the way the country works, I suppose, and the sorts of characters that might be around. But, um, yeah, the, not many stories wormed their way in from uh, my Berkshire days. It's it's mainly James Herriot's sort of um, upbringing that, that features. What changes did you make in adapting James Harriet's books to make it more relatable to audiences today? Well, I think that the books themselves are a series of vignettes and sort of anecdotes that are very much told from um, James Harriet's point of view. So the sort of why you get sort of a really rich tapestry of the Yorkshire Dales and you come to meet all these extraordinary characters be them farmers or villagers who bring their animals in or or just people he sees around Darby, you don't always get um, a fully fleshed out sense of all the characters inner lives and so when i sort of came to the sort of first came to pitch the show which was i don't know that's seven years ago now something like that it's a long time um we very much wanted to flesh out all those characters particularly the female characters who just because of the the novels very much about James Herriot's life, they don't feature massively, but they're all you know they're always there. You know that sort of Mrs. Hall was always in the house, and it was always a starting point for me to to sort of slightly expand that that view. So instead of it just being about James Herriot, it's sort of about all those other characters that you that you populate the show with and give in an inner life to as well. Um, so yeah, it was it was always about trying to find sort of build that world out from everything that um, Alf White, James Herriot um, wrote in the first place. We've been really interested in some of the, um, I don't want to say they're lesser characters, but they aren't like the core characters, um, specifically the Chapman families and the Pandy families. Yeah. and Anne Chapman, Chapman, who's played by Cleo Sylvester, was introduced in the first season. And yeah. she's a black woman who married a Yorkshire man, a um, white uh, Yorkshire man named Bert, played by David Hill. And they have a biracial son, Tom, played by Lemon Ture. Um, so the Chapmans are in the original James Harriet books. Tell us a little bit about how you developed their story in your adaptation for all creatures, great and small. Yeah, well, I, I kind of we're sort of very open minded about um, who stories are for. Well, for me, stories are for everyone, regardless of race, creed, gender, you know, um, sexuality, and and we wanted to make sure we try to be as as open and as and as, as inclusive as possible, um, but at the same time, wanted to sort of understand what the history was of people of color. Uh, or you know mixed race or of Indian heritage and we started doing some research and actually we came across Chloe as an actor first we we really loved and and liked Um, and then found out she had this amazing story about her mum who 
grew up sort of about 20 miles away from where we were filming at the time. And she was sort of brought up there in, in a, um, I think it was an orphanage that she grew up. It was a long time ago since I researched it or sort of read Cleo's story. And um, I think it was in an orphanage and she lived up in the Dales during her 20s before, I think, moving down to London. But it sort of gave me this idea that there's there's someone up there who would have had a job, would have been in the community. And why not use a Cleo's sort of real story to ground her character? Um, and so we we used, and, and, and Cleo was very kind to sort of allow us to do that. And we, we um, sort of built out the family from there because then it sort of struck us that it's actually... Um, Tom's actually her grandson rather than son um, because yeah. it thought, yeah, they've had oh. children. So where have these children gone? Um, yeah. I can just hear my own children are thundering through the house so they might burst in and apologise for that. Um, so we were so, well, if they've had children, what are, where are they? they? They're not, you know, this is not a time where people sort of left where they grew up. They sort of very much stayed close to home and found their life there. It wasn't, like now where it seems that everyone sort of grows up and leaves and sort of deserts the town they grew up in. So we built out the story from from that one character. And, and, and yeah, Tom Tom features in, in series three. Um, I'm just trying to think again which episode you're up to. Yes, you might not have seen him yet on TV, but I think he definitely features in series three. Um, and yeah, maybe looking forward, he may feature again, but we like to keep that under our hats a little bit for season four and, and looking forwards. But they, you know, it's all about finding that community um, and making it real and inclusive and diverse. Um, with with sort of Pandy, it was this incredible thing where we, we looked back at uh, an old photo from, uh, I think it was Glasgow Veterinary College in the you know, early 1920s. It was a, it was a photo of all the of all the graduates that year and they were so and it, you know this is sort of tied up with you know britain's not so glorious sort of imperial past but there were a lot of people from all over the then british empire who were coming to great britain to be educated and so there was a sort of a really wide range of different nationalities and races who were training to be vets and we kind of thought well you know some of them would have stayed, you know, what What would have happened if you came as a young man and then fell in love and, you know, decided to stay then? And and so it's from those sort of real life sources that we then built out our characters' stories. Yeah, and we're finding in our historical drama community, there's a real hunger and excitement for those kinds of stories, the ones that feel untold, you know, but have very yeah. real, you know, roots. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I think it's very easy for for people to think they know history as well and sort of dismiss oh this is what it was like and there were there were no black people or there were no Indian people. It was, and actually when you start to sort of look at the the true history, it it's it's not at all like what people expect um and think they know. Yeah, there's history and then there's mythology. And yeah. history is always much more complex. Absolutely. So Will there be a season four and might we see more of these characters if there is a season four? So season four is on the way. Yeah, it is shooting, starts shooting. Yay. In, um, 
Hope I haven't, I hope that's not a spoiler. That's not been released. But yeah, season four is on its way, and um, it shoots in about. I'm looking at my calendar. Seven weeks time, it starts soon. Yeah, very wow. soon. So that's that's advanced, and yeah, we'll see what we'll see what the story is there. Well, speaking of going into production, let's talk about the location. Um, where is All Creatures Great and Small filmed, especially on location? And what is your relationship with the local community there? Yeah, I mean, my, my personal relationship is very fleeting because I'm sort of in and out. And, uh, you know, the the crew and cast who are up there a lot, they see a lot more of it. I think that um, it's filmed in Yorkshire, not far from Harrogate, which is this beautiful little town. Um, and we have a sort of, we have a base where the the interior of Scaledale House is built. We have a set which is in a in a studio. I say studio. It is a old Sound mill. Soundstage. Oh. It's 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 a it's an old it's an old mill that's been um, sort of turned into our studio, um, and that's where the house is built, and that it stays there all the time. And then we have. Um, yeah, it's just a series of all the farms around there. We go and visit the real places. Um, you know, we have wonderful location managers who find the farms and the people to let us use them. Um, and yeah, so it's all filmed out in Yorkshire Dales. That's great because it's nice to ha- be there instead of having a stand-in for the yeah. Yorkshire Dales. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that there's no way... I mean, it's such a treasured, iconic, wonderful piece of literature anyway. If we took it out of Yorkshire, I think that we would not have lasted very long. I think, yeah, yeah, that wouldn't have gone down well. The locals in, in generally are, are just are wonderful and and um, and welcoming and uh, are keen for us to do their county justice. Are they excited to see places that they recognize in the series? I, I I don't know I don't know I've 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 not been I've not spoken to people I've only kind of only sort of interacted with people more who are watching it being filmed, yeah. um, and they're always sort of keen for us not to mess it up because it's such a uh, he is such a sort of treasured beloved author of of uh, of the county he's a sort of he's probably one of their biggest exports I would say. Yeah, a lot of filming of uh, locations in the states are often done in Canada these days. So to right. see something in the place that it actually happened or set, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, how do you guys feel about that? What's the Canada U.S. Is that um, the story for me? Is the is the yeah. thing? Yeah, yeah. It, it depends. Sometimes when they have stand-ins for like Washington D.C. For example, the subway scene. There was a subway in Georgetown where there isn't a subway in Georgetown. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. That's Stuff like that can be that. annoying. <laughs> <laughs> when you're a local, that's when it gets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gets annoying. So there's something about these times that I think made the agrarian a historical setting of all creatures, great and small, contribute to its popularity mm. in the past um, couple of years. So somehow the setting must operate as both character and driver of the series. As a writer, how how do you how do you incorporate this setting, this Yorkshire Dales, into your stories, and how is it inspiring you? 
I mean, it's, when we first sort of thought about doing the show, I went up and stomped around and spent some time there. And it's sort of a, it's such a wild but beautiful place. It's sort of, it's, it's a bit of a paradox. It's sort of, it can be the most brutal place to go where the wind gets up and it rains and, or snows. But at the same time, it can be absolutely stunning as well. Um, and I, I, I think the setting itself, I mean, it's just what I think is that it's it's a much simpler time when community is more important and there's not much, you know, you, you can't really go anywhere else. There's no sort of supermarket bringing in food from other countries or, you know, anything like that. It's, it's, you rely on the people around you and it's a lot more inward looking than um, our lives are now. And I wonder if that's part of the appeal that people sort of, appreciate a world that is does is slightly smaller and you know where people do know each other and do rely upon one each other and have that sense of community that maybe we don't so much anymore and yet we seem to be craving it a lot more i think particularly coming out of the isolation yeah. period that we had ex- recently yeah exactly so <laughs> world war ii is like this this shadow hanging over the community and you know Michonne and I grew up with relatives who served in that war who lived through that war we've heard those stories so much sometimes we feel like we've lived through them um, but the way those uh, times were depicted uh, in the Hollywood movies we saw was there was heroism and everybody knew that they were on board and you know fighting for the free world but we see the conflicts that people are experiencing in um, all creatures, great and small. And, and I can really appreciate that even though I know the history, I'm like with the characters kind of wondering, is it really going to happen? You know, kind of feeling the way yeah. you're feeling it. So could you um, say a little bit about how the way that you're presenting that time um, may have be different, you know, considering how, you know, the time we're in, um, from the way it's been depicted in television and movies from the past, you know, in the, in the 20th century. Yeah, I mean, I think that we were really careful to make sure that we were with our characters and didn't take the knowledge that we had of what happened and give it to them. You know, it was until war broke out, there was always hope that it wouldn't and it would be avoided because everyone was terrified of it. Well, not, you know, I imagine, yeah, well, I can't say everyone because there might be people that weren't, but um, the majority of people didn't want it to happen. And it was a, it was something that was coming towards them, which they, yeah, they, they didn't have the same certainty that we have now. And we were just really careful to make sure our characters were being themselves and acting with the knowledge they have. And for Siegfried and Mrs. Hall and what they've been through in World War One, they have a sort of a, and that's just so close in in their sort of lived history. It's only sort of twenty years previously, which you know, I, I know two decades seems an awful lot, but when you're forties and fifties, it's sort of time shrinks. It doesn't seem doesn't seem that long ago. Um, for them so they carry with them this fear of the damage that it did um, so they have a greater awareness than perhaps James and and Tristan do particularly of of what could happen and what could come down the road but we were yeah just very keen to make sure that we um, 
didn't get ahead of ourselves and didn't get ahead of what people knew and felt at the time. Um, you know, but yeah, it's it war comes. Um, we we all know that as the audience, but it's I think I thought it was really interesting to interrogate those characters without that certainty. Yeah, and they all have different um, perspectives on whether or not it will happen. You know, as you said, there are those who hope it won't. There are those who are sure it will, and there are those who are like, oh, it's not going to happen. Which, yeah, which makes for a real tension in the story. Yeah, I definitely feel their anxiety. Yeah, yeah. and it sort of yeah. really ratchets up through the through the series where it's sort of and that was always our intention and it just sort of bubbles under the surface without really knowing it. it starts to sort of seep into everything in everybody's lives not to say that the series gets you know too sort of um downbeat uh so don't worry about that we still have it's still our show and still warm and 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 funny hopefully and joyful but there is this serious event on the horizon that we know is coming yeah and we all know life is not all a drag Exactly. We take the bitter with the sweet for sure. And then this is a little spoiler alert for those who are listening, but I was also uh, very um, moved by the story with the uh, women who are deaf volunteers uh, who Mrs. Hall encounters at the train station. Um, Mm. So we're curious about um, that, that, storyline and also the actresses who are in in that scene or in that part yeah, of, so of the series the, yeah the, this there was um i think it was called the auxiliary women's service which was created during this period um which women could volunteer for to help with um you know the war effort and the coming the possibility of the coming war uh, and they, you know, deaf people volunteered, and we wanted to represent people from um, who were deaf as well. It didn't sort of matter to us, sort of, um, you know, if, yeah, we just kind of wanted to have a very broad sort of sense of everyone that was doing their part, and we found this great actress who happened to be deaf, and so we thought she would be great for the role, and we adjusted it slightly so um my director andy hay uh found her um and worked with her and sort of reinterpreted the lines with her using sort of her her sort of um physical uh gestures and yeah it's sort of we also wanted to make that i don't careful not to give too much away we also wanted to make it matter that she did happen to be deaf and in the sort of the climax of that story, there's a moment where um, her, the fact that she can lip read and is deaf is actually um, the making of the story and something that the story hinges on. Um, and in some ways, it's it's kind of in that moment, it's her sort of superpower in a way. Um, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was kind of, um, that's where the story came from. Um and yeah, it's beautiful. It's a really beautiful moment, um, written really beautifully by Kareem Khan as well, uh, one of our new writer on the show. Terrific. And that's all we're going to say about it because it is a very beautiful moment and you want to see it. You definitely do. Episode five. 
You've been enjoying Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters, a podcast where we talk about historical drama series and films as windows to the past and mirrors of the present. Visit our webpage at michonbostongroup.com backslash Boston Sisters. Share this podcast. Join our historical drama community by signing up for our newsletter to stay up to date on future episodes and bonus content. Now, back to our podcast conversation. We now come to the question for our animal lovers in the audience. What is your process for writing scripts and stories that involves animals? who may have lines or may not have lines. Yeah. Um, you, you sort of, I mean, you, quite a lot of the animal stories we get from James Herriot, we base our stories on his anecdotes. And if not, we speak to his son, who's an advisor on the show. Um, and he, he helps develop stories with us. And then you write it and hope the animals can do it. And we, we've got some brilliant, brilliant animal handlers, uh, Jill and Dean, who train the animals to do what we need them to do. Um, and yeah, you hope, hope for the best. You do have to sometimes amend things and, and change things. And there's some, some clever bits where you might think it's a dog lying down, but it's actually a prosthetic and, you know, it's, it's, it's someone's arm working a prosthetic, which looks like a dog's neck, but it's not actually um, the dog itself. But yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really sort of joined up, group approach there's a lot of people that put a lot of time and effort into getting those animal moments right um but yeah it's you you do you do just write and hope for the best and then you amend afterwards is always my approach have there ever been any i was just gonna ask has there ever been a a time when maybe the actor and the animal didn't quite click and you had to make a a change in the casting or or scene or whatever no, I think we've always you always just got to get through it. The actors themselves, they, you know, in, in I remember in the very first episode, Rachel had to sort of deal with a bull that wouldn't stay still. In, and in the episode, she grabs the rope and just pulls it along and ties it up. And that wasn't scripted at all. It was, um, but the bull kept walking away and, and Rachel just took it upon herself on the third time to grab this sort of two-ton bull and yank it and tie it up and it was just when I saw that on the on the rushes at the end of the day which is the you know the tapes you get from what they filmed out on location I was just like oh great we've got our we've definitely got our Helen here because yeah she just went and did it Sam Sam West is constantly trodden on by cows that's his his least <laughs> favorite thing um but on the whole they're pretty good uh and you just got to find a way to get through it you you know Pigs are difficult. We had a pig that buttercup that wouldn't move. So that, that was hard. But um, usually food is the, the thing you, you use to, to get them to do what you need to do. Well, same with our little dogs here. <laughs> yeah. Well, now that you've asked that question, I'm curious, was there any disruption between, well, when Diana Rigg passed away, um, she played Mrs. Pumphrey. And now we have Patricia Hodge. Yeah. But we have the same tricky woo, right? You, That's you Derek. Dude, Derek, 
who yeah was cast it could only be Derek there was no one else that came close um is yeah I mean it, it was obviously so terribly sad um to lose Diana like we did but we kind of felt that you know this is a part that sort of transcends the you know though the, the Diana was so wonderful as as Mrs Pumphrey it is is a part in a world that sort of tr transcends actors it has a history of different actors playing the role um and so we felt we felt comfortable recasting with Mrs Pumphrey but with um sorry Patricia Hodges Mrs Pumphrey but we were and Patricia was very keen to and we were very keen that that it became her character rather than an imitation of what Diana was doing I almost feel like they're two separate things in a way and both wonderful in their own separate ways but that we felt that that was the best way to honor the work that Diana had done while still being true to the novels that have this sort of much celebrated character in it so we were saying earlier that even though there's war there's humor and there's also love happening in this community um and you know many uh viewers for them uh, marriage, you know, two characters who are in love coming together as James and uh, Helen marry is like the aspiration. It's the happy ending. But love is a little more complicated in the series All Creatures, Great and Small. So can you talk to us a little bit about the role of love in developing the characters and the stories that we see in, in season three? Yeah, I mean, love is very complicated um i kind of yeah the idea that it's sort of it's all sorted once you're married i think anyone who's married would probably not recognize that i think that it's um there's always challenges and we're all changing all the time and i think we love in different ways and love grows and changes and it's yeah it's really important to me that it felt real and that there is some grit and rough with the smooth i think that that's always um, at the heart of our show is that you know we, we want it to feel real and truthful and if, and if you're going to do that you're going to have to have the harder times next to the the good times and the, and the and the happiness and the sadness and and complicated and simple and I think that we try to make sure that we approach all our characters in that way um, particularly when we're telling a love story which we you know we're very aware of the the tropes of what people see in in with love stories and you know you might expect that the series would be around building to the wedding but we just kind of wanted to get on with the wedding because life happens after that that's almost that was the more interesting stuff for us is when how do they figure out their new their new family their new relationship um especially with war coming up and and a sense of responsibility and duty tied into that um i think that particularly in this period where you know, I, th I think now people would expect in the majority, I don't know, maybe that's not true across the globe, but it's certainly in Western society, people live together before they're married. So you understand what you're getting into a little bit more. Whereas in this society, it, it, in all creatures time, that's not the case. It's sort of they're, they're married before they move in with each other. So this, they've not had a test run in a way. They're sort of thrown into this house with... um with the madness of Siegfried and everyone else in Skeldale. And it's 
also really cool seeing the kind of partnership that they develop over the series. So, yeah, they're a great team. Much like Nick and Rachel, they 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 work so well together. Um, and it was really nice to see Rachel in the house, Helen in the house, because um, yeah. so much, you know, I think she'd missed out on all the breakfasts and all the the studio fun. She was always out on location, so. I think Rachel lived inside a big, massive coat for most of the shoot. But then finally in the studio, she could be in the nice warm inside and, and get the really nice breakfast they cook. I I was thinking about what you said, the word simple just kind of popped out for me because I think, as I mentioned over the past years during this pandemic, during lockdown, people really gravitated toward this, looking for something simple, but as we all know things can get complicated in their simplicity. Um, but at the same time, people may see watching the English countryside as this idyllic kind of life. And even I got hooked on the series, um, the BBC series, Escape to the Country. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, I'm um, aware of it. I'm not, I'm not an avid watcher, but yeah, I, <laughs> I know it. So we see people leaving the built-up cities and suburbs for a change of life, a change of life, a slower pace to get closer to nature, to have a community. Um, and these moves were accelerating during the pandemic um, as people were working remotely. In your experience with the series and just in life in general, how have you seen the English countryside and its communities change compared to the time that we're seeing in all creatures, great and small. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot more, obviously there's a lot more movement in, in terms of how, you know, the, the makeup of the countryside, their population, it's, there's a lot of people moving from the cities to the country. There's a bit of a problem in, in this country with people owning second homes where they have a, a home in a country side spot that's particularly nice and then it becomes very hard for local people to live there because their houses are taken up by people sort of having a second home um whereas back at this stage it was sort of you know there's a moment in in the first episode where helen realizes that this is the furthest she's ever been from home and it's it's not a long distance it's like 50 miles and it's you know it's a, a world that's a lot more insular whereas now i think the countryside is is a lot more sort of um, people from all over. You still get pockets, I think, where it does still feel very much like a community, but it's a different sort of community. So I think it's a lot more found communities than um, it was necessarily there. But I suppose it's quite hard for me to to say, having lived in the city for 20 years, to, to properly understand it. But yeah, that's my impression. Do you have any... Um inkling about moving to the country from the city at some point in life? Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. I really enjoy being in cities. Um, I like the idea of it, but I wonder if I would get there and then after sort of a couple of months go a bit stir crazy if, and, and need more people around me. But I don't know. Maybe I've just been conditioned by London. It's, it's hard to tell. There's always the market towns. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, we've had a 
nice conversation talking about all creatures great and small, but now we're at the part where we ask guests questions related to the podcast. Um, this podcast looks at historical drama as a window into the past and a mirror of the present. So um, if you could travel back in time, Ben, where would you visit and why? I mean, dinosaurs, just because <laughs> I think they're really cool. And I'd, I'd, I'd love to see dinosaurs. I think that'd be, I think that'd be ace. I know that's not particularly intelligent, um, but as, as a kid, <laughs> <laughs> growing up I, I used to be kind of obsessed with dinosaurs so yeah to go and to go and see them in the in the in in the in the flesh when everything was massive and all the trees were massive I think that'd be really cool what was your favorite dinosaur I actually like the um triceratops was my favorite ah. so that was kind of wicked the the three-horned I just thought it was a bit badass um so yeah that's I, that's where the, I would go the brontosaurus was my favorite, and I used to engage them in dramas. I think yeah. every kid has a dinosaur. Period. There's something yeah, about that. Absolutely. I think I think it's the the, the time time to go to. Yeah. Um, time capsules. What three items that represent the times you've lived through would you put in a time capsule? Gosh, I mean, I think it'd be hard not to put a mobile phone in it. A smartphone for what that's done to for all of us and to us all um what else gosh uh what would i put in there maybe like a sweep for my childhood like a curly whirly just because that's sort of vivid memories for me um and yeah what else maybe Maybe a face mask, actually, at the moment. Probably a face mask. From the past couple of years? Yeah, it's kind of quite um, recent history, but I think it's left a bit of a mark and an impression of sort of how how suddenly something that, you know, the world feels so in control and stable, and then in one moment everything changes, which, you know, it's it's kind of extraordinary to think about the the it's it's sort of a even even war i don't think has ever been as experienced as globally as as this before where every you know as that was where everyone at the same time was sort of dealing with the same problem in pretty much every country in the across the globe and and which is just quite a incredible mind-blowing thing and I, I I don't know I feel like the history hasn't been written on that yet and um, it'll be interesting to see what the perspectives are looking back and what it does moving forwards how it's changed us all slightly All Creatures Great and Small Season 3 can be seen Sunday nights on Masterpiece on PBS check your local listings you can also stream the series on PBS Passport, the PBS Masterpiece Prime video channel, and for free for 14 days from broadcast on pbs.org masterpiece. We invite you to share this podcast of historical drama with the Boston sisters with someone you know who would enjoy this conversation. 
Subscribe to Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Visit our webpage at michonbostongroup.com backslash Boston Sisters for more information and additional resources related to this conversation. Sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on future episodes and bonus content. You can write us at podcast at michonbostongroup.com. Like and share historical drama with the Boston Sisters on your social media. This is Michonne Boston. And this is Tequina Boston. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters, a podcast about historical films and series dramas. Visit our webpage at michonbostongroup.com backslash Boston Sisters. Tell us what historical dramas you're watching. Who knows? We may do a show about it. Sign up for our newsletter, subscribe to the podcast, and share it with the people you know who binge on historical drama. Historical Drama with the Boston Sisters is brought to you by the Michon Boston Group. The views and opinions expressed on historical drama with the Boston Sisters are those of the speakers and do not represent the positions or views of the Michon Boston Group, its clients or affiliates. This is Michon Boston. And this is Tequina Boston. Thank you for listening.